Hi, I'm Kira Davis, host of Just Listen to Yourself. Do you love hot chocolate, fake snow, and cheesy Hallmark movies? Then you're going to love the latest podcast from FCB Radio, A Very Merry Podcast. Join me and co-host Amelia Hamilton, Hallmark Superfans, as we break down the best and the worst, but mostly the best, of the Hallmark Christmas universe all season long. Will our protagonists fall in love and discover the true meaning of Christmas? There's only one way to find out. Come celebrate the happiest place on TV with a very merry podcast every week through New Year's. And don't forget the mistletoe. They freed us all from tyranny. We stand everything for liberty. And they fought so we would be America, land of the Growing Patriot Podcast, your journey through American history for kids. I'm your host, Amelia Hamilton. Last time, we learned about some of the jobs that kids could have during the American Revolution. Some played music in the Fife and Drum Corps, and some, like Andrew Jackson, would carry messages. This time, we're going to talk about some of the grown-ups who carried messages, but did it in secret. Yep, this week is all about the spies. Hi, my name is Kimber. I'm nine years old and I live in Texas. My questions are, who were some of the most famous spies during the war? Did any of them get caught? Were there any female spies? What kind of spy gadgets did they use? And was it difficult being a spy? Those are such good questions. And joining us this week to answer them is Barbara Russell, who is the town historian for Brookhaven, New York. Let's get those answers. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. I've been here about um, 15 or 16 years as the town historian. And uh, most people don't know this, so I tell them New York is the only state in the country that requires each municipality to have an appointed historian. So we take our history very seriously here. I love that. Yeah. Love that. So what does a town historian do? Well, um, basically I take all the research questions Mm -hmm. and that might be from in-house, from other departments, or it might be outside from the public, or it might be from people like yourself. Sure. I do like to do programs for students. Mm -hmm. I help um, secondary and college level students with their, um, if they choose a a history project to do, I've helped with that. Um, I write, I do some research, some writing. It's pretty varied actual, and I have a historical collection here in my office too. Oh, wow, how fun. Well, I would love to dive in with Kimber's questions. Okay. Um, Well, let's start with a big one. Were there any spies during the American Revolution who became famous later? Or maybe they were famous at the time, but we didn't know they were spies, but any names we might recognize? Well, I would say the uh, coordinator of the Culper spy ring, Benjamin Talmadge, um, he actually was born here on Long Island. And he was very, very bright young man. His father was a minister in the local church and the president of Yale College wanted him to come at the age of 14. And his father said, no, he was much too young. 
So I believe he went at 16 or 17 and um, graduated from Yale and became a schoolmaster in Connecticut and was a fervent patriot and went on to um, join the patriot cause. But after the war, he um, had quite a career. He was a um, senator or congressman from uh, Connecticut. He is um, quite renowned in his uh, adopted hometown of Litchfield, Connecticut. So um, tell us a little bit more about the spiring particularly. Okay. Well, you kind of have to start with um, August of 1776, okay. the Battle of Long Island, also known as the Battle of Brooklyn. Sure. Which the Patriots lost. Mm -hmm. And they lost control of New York, which is uh, critical, very important to General Washington. New York was uh, a port. It was at the south end of the Hudson River, so it controlled uh, the traffic uh, north and south on the Hudson River. And if we had a map, and I do programs normally with a map, you see that the Hudson River continues to flow all the way up to Canada. So if the British had control of the Hudson River, they could have cut off some of the colonies, being New York, Connecticut, New Hampshire, uh, all of those New England states. So New York was very critical. So George Washington lost New York and he went north to uh, Westchester and Connecticut. He went across the Hudson River to New Jersey, but he had to have a way to get information yeah. on the British troops, where they were going, what their stores were, their ships. So he put Benjamin Talmadge in charge of coming up with a way to get information out of New York and up to him in uh, Westchester or over to New Jersey. So what did Benjamin Talmadge do? He went back to his hometown of Setauket, New York, mm -hmm. and he enlisted his friends to help. So one of his friends was named Abraham Woodhull, and he was a farmer in Setauket. There was a tavern keeper by the name of Austin Rowe. And there was a, um, a man by the name of Caleb Brewster who left Setauket young and went to sea. And what they did is they arranged for information to come out of New York City. Uh, Austin Rowe was a uh, tavern keeper, so he had a reason to travel back and forth. And I say back and forth, it was 55 or 60 miles into New York to get supplies for his business. Mm -hmm. Because you had to have a reason to go back and forth. Right. He would get this information from New York and he would give it to Abraham Woodhull who would then um, meet with Caleb Brewster, who would bring a boat across Long Island Sound from Connecticut to Long Island. And he would get this information over to Connecticut where it would get to pa Benjamin Talmadge and Talmadge would get it to Washington. Gosh. Now I do wanna mention one more name, which I omitted. 
And that is that of a man named Robert Townsend. And Robert Townsend was born in Oyster Bay, New York, which is on the North shore of Long Island, about, I'd say 30 miles from Sedaukit. But he went into New York City during the revolution and he ran a coffee house. And the British thought he was a British sympathizer. So they would talk about their movements and what they were doing in his coffee house. Oh. So he was able to give this information to Austin Rowe. And Woodhull also made a couple of trips into New York and he could get this information to them. So he was the person that was in New York all the time. Um, I think your young people should know that they all had alias names. So they didn't use their own name. So Abraham Woodhull was known as Samuel Culper Sr. And Robert Townsend was known as uh, Samuel Culper Jr. Uh, Talmadge's name was John Bolton. Okay, so that's how it got the name of the Culper spy spy ring. Yes, and it is believed that they used... um, an alliteration of the word Culpeper, Virginia, which is where George Washington came from. So they used this word Culper and then they used these alias names. Um, Caleb Brewster apparently was the boldest and bravest of them all. If you read some of his communications, he signed his own name. He wasn't afraid to use his own name. Wow. Well, and actually that was, that kind of, that reminds me of one of Kimber's other questions is, did, did any of them ever get caught? Any of these spies? Uh, not these spies, although I believe there are some letters. There was a point in time where Townsend, um, wanted to give it up. Hmm. So whether he was in a situation in New York, whether he was questioned, we don't exactly know why, but he did come back and work again with the culpers. No, and and Kimber should know that they did not talk about this at all. Sure. If you read Benjamin Talmadge's memoirs, which his son got him to write, he he writes about the spy ring in about two sentences. Hmm. And this is well after the war. And he said, I took up a secret correspondence, which continued for a few years. So they really did not talk about it. I'm, I'm sure they were afraid. Of course, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so you also talked a little bit, you know, we talked about the letters and things like maybe having a code name or not a code name, but a you know secret name to use. W- were there any um, like gadgets? You know, we think of spies with, with fancy gadgets now, but did they have anything anything like that to help with, with code? Well, or not they actually code? had an invisible ink that they used. Oh. And um, they would, they could take like, say, a book mm-hmm. and they could write with this invisible ink between the, between the lines of the book. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then whoever it went to would have a reagent that they would apply and then the uh, writing would come up. Okay, but if anybody found it, they would think... They just had a book. They wouldn't see it. They would just say somebody ordered a book or somebody wrote a letter. Mm -hmm. So it was hidden. And um, so they did use that for a while. And I think it's important for me to tell students 
They also had a, um, a code book, a secret code that was devised by Benj uh, Benjamin Talmadge. And you can actually see it in the Library of Congress if you go to their website. So they had, um, let's see, uh, General Washington's, uh, his, his code was 711. Mm. So if you saw 711 in a message, you knew it meant General Washington. Okay. Um, Long Island was 728. Mm -hmm. Austin Row was 724. So you can have a lot of fun with this with students because you can, you know, take a page from the uh, the code and you can have them write something in code and then pass it to the next person and they can decipher it. That is fun. That is fun. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like like being a spy must have been hard work because you had not only were you keeping all these secrets and writing in a code, but you also had to be doing your regular job. So nobody noticed that there was something funny going on. Exactly. And and I think um, and I feel that, you know, Abraham Woodhull had a, a, a large farm to run. Mm -hmm. um, Roe had a business, a tavern to run. And we do know that British soldiers were stationed in the Setauket area, Oyster Bay area. So uh, life had to go on with these British soldiers in your midst. So I, I think that you probably had to uh, be earnest about your everyday work and yep. also get this done. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Kimber's uh, uh, last question, I think maybe also goes with that, which were there any female spies? and? I just kind of thought that maybe maybe people's wives and daughters would have kind of had to be in on it at least to um, to keep everything everything going. Well, let me ask her answer her question by mm -hmm. saying there were probably other people involved in the spy ring that we don't yet know of. Yeah, and so they could be males, females, children. Mm -hmm. um, in the code book, there is the number three five five, and it means lady. Now, we don't know if it means any particular person mm -hmm. or does it mean a female. Sure. Um, some some um, historians feel that the term lady refers to someone who is uh, somewhat educated. Mm -hmm. And um, but do we know who 355 is as a person with a name? No. Gosh. That would be a, a cool mystery to solve someday to find out who 355 was. It'd be great to find out. Yeah. So do you think that families um, would have been involved or would they know what their, their husband and dad was up to when he, well, when he snuck away? You know, um, we've never found any diary or anything or a letter that mentions it. Now, we do know that um, a resident of Setauket by the name of Sela Strong was imprisoned in New York at some point for, I don't know whether, I don't recall whether he wrote something about the enemy or whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, he had a wife and a, quite a large family back in Setauket. Uh, would he want to involve his family uh, and have them end up the same place as them? Sure. Doubtful. Mm -hmm. um, he was released 
eventually and returned. Um, and then I actually think he went to uh, Connecticut. Many Long Islanders fled to Connecticut for their safety. Yeah. So do you have any, um, you know, any stories maybe about specific specific events that happened when you know people were passing these messages or any close calls you know any any interesting there is there is a story and i i don't remember how we know it but we do know it that um abraham woodhull once was working in his house uh, probably reading messages or what whatever mm -hmm. and the door opened and he spilled the ink the invisible ink in his um, house or in his at his desk or whatever. And he had to ask for more of it. And it turns out that he was, um, he had two nieces that were in the house and they decided to surprise him up in his room or something and they frightened him and he knocked the, the invisible ink over. Oh goodness. So that's um, kind of a nice story for the young people to hear. Sure, yeah. I think we can all relate to that. <laughs> What probably started as a fun prank um, turned out to cost him uh, his allotment of invisible ink. Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, so what, hap what happened to the, to the spy ring? How did it, how did it end? Um, well, the end of the war came along, but I believe it, I believe it ended prior to that and I, I wish I could exactly answer your question. Sure, I'm I know that's, I'm sure that's sure. hard to answer. People, like, yeah. people didn't I, write I, these I, down. I, I really, uh, I don't know exactly. Um, I know that we, we they, they just did not talk about it. Sure. For yeah. how long, um, I mean, Long Island was under British rule for, I believe, eight years. Yeah. And how smooth that transition was afterwards. Would they have wanted to come out with this? Most of them never did. As I said, a Talmadge gave it a couple of lines in his memoir, mm -hmm. and that's about it. We do know that in 1790, George Washington did do a trip uh, along Long Island, and he left Brooklyn and he came along the South Shore with a few stops, and then he came north to Setauket, and he actually stayed overnight at Austin Rose Tavern. So there are some historians who believe that he made that stop specifically to thank those who helped him during the war. But do we have a record of it? Yes, we do have a record in his diary of him staying at Rowe Tavern. Do we have a record specifically of him coming to thank those who helped him in the spy ring? No. Right. Well, it must be hard to, to know the history of spies because, yeah. like you said, they they weren't telling anybody or writing it down. That's so. right. That's that's the whole part of, of being a spy is to be undercover. Yeah. Uh -huh. Well, that is so cool. So I'm delighted to answer these questions on the Culper Spry Ring. And um, please have your students, if they would like to email me any other questions, um, oh, how I'd be happy to answer them. Yes, I will. I will share your email address. Um, no problem with this email they uh, with the episode thank you so much that that is a wonderful a wonderful offer for the kids yep. i'm happy to help all right educate educated educational programs are are part of being a historian yep it sure is it sure is fun to you know even 
even as grown-ups, it's always so much fun to Bye. learn more about all of these things. So Barbara, thank you so much for joining us today and telling us about this really fun chapter of American history. You're very, very welcome. Anytime. That was so much fun. Let's talk about all the things we learned today. The coordinator of the Culper Spy Ring was a man named Benjamin Talmadge, and he gathered his friends together to help pass messages and spy for the American patriots after they lost control of New York, like we talked about in an earlier episode. Of course, they couldn't get caught or they would be in big trouble. So they used fake names mostly to protect themselves, although one of them, Caleb Brewster, signed his own name. Still, none of them were ever caught. But they also never really talked about it, even after the revolution when they knew that they were safe. They didn't just use pretend names or aliases to protect themselves. They had so many secrets to protect that they needed what were considered fancy spy gadgets 250 years ago. They were using invisible ink so they could write letters to each other on letters that look normal or in books and have them completely hidden so nobody would know the difference. We don't know if there were really any famous spies or any women because we still don't know who they were. That's how well hidden they were. We only know who a few of them are. But number 355 was the word lady. So was that a particular lady or any woman that they worked with? We don't know, but there must have been at least one woman involved. It's important to remember how much these people were risking for America. If they had gotten caught, and especially if Britain had won the war, they would have been in big trouble. This was treason but it's thanks to brave people like this that our freedom was won. Now be sure to visit growingpatriots.com this week. We have all of the extra special things that you find with every episode, like videos and coloring pages, but we also have Barbara's email address in case you have any other questions about spies for her. And we have links to historical exhibits and some of those documents with invisible ink. And as always, you can find us at Growing Patriots on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to like and rate the podcast. That's how other people find us and recommend us to a couple of friends. Thanks for listening, and I can't wait to see you next time. Distributed by FCB Radio Network. Hi, I'm Kira Davis, host of Just Listen to Yourself. Do you love hot chocolate, fake snow, and cheesy Hallmark movies? Then you're going to love the latest podcast from FCB Radio, A Very Merry Podcast. Join me and co-host Amelia Hamilton, Hallmark superfans, as we break down the best and the worst, but mostly the best, of the Hallmark Christmas universe all season long. Will our protagonists fall in love and discover the true meaning of Christmas? There's only one way to find out. Come celebrate the happiest place on TV with a very merry podcast every week through New Year's. And don't forget the mistletoe.